Welcome to another episode of This Catholic Life, conversations about life's ups and downs, big and small, how we deal with every situation imaginable, whatever life throws at us, but still manage to be sensible, practical, and joyful. Today's show is about the precepts of the church, or the church rules as they might be more colloquially known. It's a conversation with Father Sam Lynch, an old hand at the podcast. Welcome back, Father. Good to be here. Excellent. And we're going to talk about these rules or the precepts of the church, mostly because some people ask, you know, what are the rules for this? What about this rule? And there's a little bit of confusion about uh, the difference between the moral norms of the church, the liturgical norms of the church, and these precepts, which are kind of a, the um, the rules for ordinary Catholic life, which are, it's not the same as moral rules, which is don't kill people, don't harm right. them, don't lie. The, all those the precepts things. are basically the minimum requirements to be a practicing Catholic. That's what oh, that's are. a good way of putting it. So the minimum requirements for being a practicing Catholic. Yep. Hmm. I wonder if we should have called this episode practicing Catholics or something like that with a question mark. <laughs> if question marks work in our titles. Okay, so let's run through the precepts. There are five precepts and we intend to deal with them, each of them in turn. There are five um, in the Catechism of the Catholic Church. There are different lists, but um, they change depending on the, the era and the time, the place, slightly. Right. But presently, in our current Catholic Catechism, the ones we're morally bound to by obedience to the Church are the five that are listed. So the first is go to Mass. We're going to unpack these more fully, by the way. First is go to Mass. The second is go to Confession. The third is um, receiving Holy Communion. Uh, the fourth is keeping days of holy obligation, uh, and the fifth is uh, fasting and abstinence. Now, we're going to unpack each of these because they're not just universal applying in every circumstance, but let's start with the first one, which is attend Mass on Sundays and days of holy obligation. Why would the Church use its authority from God to ask or demand, oblige us to go to Mass? Well, because the Mass is the principal um, act of worship of the Catholic Church. It's uh, the way that the Lord himself gave to us to worship him, and it's the source and summit of the Church's life. In other words, God wants to give us his grace. And yes. he says, you know, it's a, fu it's a funny thing to look at as a, as a rule. God says, I've got, a I've got the best gift in the world to give you. Now you must show up, okay? <laughs> I want to give you this gift. Well... Technically, it's the church that tells you you must show up. <laughs> yeah, well, true. Although it's using God's authority. It is. And it's also, it's grounded in the divine law, of course, because the third commandment is you shall keep the Sabbath day holy. Right. And the particular way in which Catholics are to keep the Sabbath day holy is to go to Mass. Right. I mean, not just go to Mass, but that's that's the minimum, you know. You've got to, right. you've got to go to Mass. Okay. Now, looking further... Go to Mass on which days? Because there's seven Sundays. days a week. Yep. Sundays being the Lord's Day, the day of his resurrection. Um, from earliest times, uh, Christians have always um, gathered for worship on the first day of the week, as it was, a Sunday, um, for uh, the celebration of uh, the resurrection of Christ in the Mass, and, and also Holy Days of Obligation. Now, in Australia, most of those have been commuted to the Sunday. So Ascension Thursday, for example, is no longer a, you know, we no longer celebrate in Australia on Thursday 
on the we've Thursday. Moved it we've, to Sunday. we've moved it to Sunday, exactly. Yeah. Now, our very naughty producer has just asked, what if I break the rules? Because he's preparing himself, obviously. Well, you, <laughs> then you're not a practising Catholic. You can't call yourself a practising Catholic. <laughs> so we don't send out the Swiss Guard to get those people and bring them into whatever, um, I don't know if the Vatican has a prison. but <laughs> Well, as tempting as that might sound to some <laughs> parish priests, um, although there are great stories of old parish priests who used to, you know, just walk around their parish and, uh, you know, see someone gardening out the front and sort of say, oh, oh, oh Mary, how are you? <laughs> I haven't seen much of you lately. You haven't been to mass lately, you yes. know. And so people lived in terror of of old Father O'Shaughnessy or something uh, turning up at their doorstep. I, was, I have to confess that I have I lived in such a neighbourhood when I was a Lutheran minister. The the local Catholic priest walked the neighbourhood every Saturday morning. He knew everybody, including me, mm-hmm. and he greeted everyone with politeness and respect. But they were all terrified because they hadn't been to mass, and <laughs> he called them out. In any case, that's quite. That's a different thing. So, in other words, this is about being a, a practicing Catholic. So, going to mass on Sundays and on days of holy obligation. What are the two days again of holy obligation? The two that are left are Christmas, because that doesn't always fall on a Sunday, and the Assumption, the fifteenth right. of uh, August. So, fifteenth of August and the twenty-fifth of December. All right. Um, moving to the second precept, confess your sins at least once a year. Now, we were talking off, uh, Mike, before, and you were saying this one needs a little bit more explanation. Yes. Well, it's actually it's actually linked to the uh, to the next one. The the confession and the receiving the Eucharist go together, and it's because of a whole lot of history, basically, um, that people didn't receive the Eucharist frequently at all, and there was also, you know. Because of that, um, it was assumed that you would go to confession before receiving the Eucharist every time you received the Eucharist. Right. Um, but now, of course, you know we encourage people to come to and receive Holy Communion whenever they're at Mass, um, wherever wherever they possibly can. So right. it's it's kind of you know there's ebbs and flows in the church's history. Basically, yeah. We have a we're very blessed in this age to have access to. Mass so so readily, especially in a big city, that it's almost always available if you really want it. You know, you've got a motor car. If you're motivated, you can usually find it. Yeah, yeah. perhaps if you're in a more remote area um, or in a you know a larger spread diocese or something like that, you might find it's only on offer uh, less frequently. But certainly not once a year. You'd be hard pressed to find anywhere where it's only offered once a year in a city. Sure. Yeah. yeah, I mean, even in the country. I mean, would would there be any place in Australia where there's only one mass a year? Um, there'd be some churches in parishes that no longer have their own parish priest. Like a lot of my priest friends that serve in the country, for example, my friend is the parish priest of Orange in New South Wales. He's got six or seven churches that right. he looks after, and maybe he's got two assistants. But the thing is, is that obviously they're not celebrating Sunday Mass in all of those churches every week. No, not um, every week, but they certainly wouldn't. People wouldn't go a year without access to the Eucharist. Probably not, no. But okay. you go further west, out to <laughs> uh, out to Burke and, and back of Burke, and suddenly, you know, that might actually be the case that some churches are more or less shut. Um, right. Okay. Now, you said that these two go together, so you've got you shall... Well, the precept, third precept is you shall humbly receive 
your Creator in Holy Communion at least during the Easter season. What does they what do they mean by the Easter season? Well, they mean the period in the church like Lent and Advent and so forth. There's also Eastertide, a time um, uh, in the church's calendar which goes from uh, Easter until uh, Pentecost. Right. So there's so, like forty something days. Fifty days. Fifty days. Sorry. After Easter, that you're supposed to receive Holy Communion somewhere in there. Now, of course, yes. before receiving Holy Communion, as you say, historically, the reminder is to confess sure. serious or mortal sins. Some people use that as an excuse to not go to confession, except, you know, when, when they absolutely must once a year. <laughs> and then even then they say, well, I haven't committed any serious sins. Well, I think you should examine your conscience a little more closely. <laughs> just be sure about that. Uh, I, I wouldn't take that risk. I'd just go anyway. Just I can't remember which which of James or John say, if we say we have no sin, uh, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Indeed. <laughs> and yet if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Um, sorry. King James is coming out of my head from my oh, childhood. <laughs> beautiful. Beautiful. <laughs> so... So the, the so the second and third precepts go together. The fourth precept, you shall keep the holy days of obligation, seems to relate back to the first, doesn't it? Um, it does. I'm not sure why it's a separate precept. Well, the catechism seems to mention that let's say we have participation in principal liturgical feasts, such as special feasts like Christ the King or the Assumption, even though they've been commuted to Sundays, we're we're obliged to participate and keep the holy days in a matter fitting to them. Actually, what what they're talking about, sorry, is not necessarily going to Mass. It doesn't mention Mass, but it does say you should, you know, keep them holy. Um, So in other words, you should make an effort to remember that it's your patron saint's feast day and therefore to pay a visit to a church, to say a prayer, you know, do something to remember and celebrate the 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 feast day um hmm. have a feast as well that's another exactly. good thing to I do mean, remembering things isn't always about you know oh we've got to be all solemn today we, you can be solemnly joyful actually <laughs> bake a cake if you've <laughs> you know. been if you've been to a village in italy on uh, saint anthony of padua's feast day you'll understand exactly what's intended there they have Indeed. a great party now yeah. speaking of fasting the fifth precept is you shall uh, observe prescribed days of fasting and abstinence, which basically the, the church uh, describes and, and prescribes days in which we fast and days in which we uh, engage in abstinence. We should talk about the difference between those two. Right. So fasting is um, having less food than you normally would. Right. Abstin- abs- abstaining means abstaining from red meat. Okay. Not eating red meat on those days. And is that the normal, the, the traditional Friday abstinence is to not eat red meat each Friday? That's right. Friday? So the fish on Friday's idea is, is, is that. And, of course, we are still obliged to have some sort of penance on Fridays. And to be honest, it was easier when the rule was just no meat <laughs> on Fridays because then you'd remember to do it. Yep. Uh, the, the problem is, is, is uh, it's it, harder to remember because there isn't something specific that you have to do. Now, maybe you can clarify this for me, but I was told yep. fish on Fridays is the norm, except that you're allowed to replace that with another form of penance. Or is it just that you just pick a form of penance? On Honestly, you just pick a form of penance. You're not bound right. to fish <laughs> on Fridays. I mean, that that's a wonderful casuistic 
sort of <laughs> interpretation, <laughs> but it, as far as I'm aware, it's just not true. The fact is right. that your the re, the legal requirement, the precept, is that you you must uh, do some sort of penance on right. Fridays. Right. And you're free to determine what that is. Yeah, my wife's told me I'm not allowed to count going to meetings as that particular penance, though. So because I do that every other day. So. <laughs> okay. Um, in terms of how that's different from fasting, let's talk about fasting. Again, I've heard Catholics say that there's a rule about this, that you're, you should have two smaller meals which together don't add up to the same as your larger meal. Well, again, I mean, it's an interpretation. Like, I mean, if you're... If you're if the norm is is that you have three square meals a day, then you have you know you have one meal less. Okay, right. well then you're fasting. You don't just not eat at all and then have a hypoglycemic crash and are completely useless to your employer um, on a Friday because or your family uh, or your family or you're cranky as a bear or what have you. Yeah. Um, you the the idea is that it be penance for you not for everyone else. That's a good point, Father, and we've talked about this before on the podcast. Penance, especially in Lent, when people talk about giving up things for Lent, a couple of things I'd like to talk about here in regards to fasting for Lent. The Lenten abstinences that we have, the Lenten uh, sort of devotional abstinences or fasting, should be about our devotion to our Lord and focusing focusing us on prayer and you know, self-examination, examination of conscience and bringing us our sins and, and asking God to forgive us, it seems as if when I get to Facebook we see like 700 announcements of everything I'm giving up for Lent, you know, can come up just before Lent, you know. It doesn't seem to be in the spirit of it that we're, you know, isn't that what Christ talked about? Don't let anyone know you're fasting. You know, you're not supposed to be trumpeting it from the, from the uh, street corners. Yes, and he warned that you'll have, You've, you have your reward already. Uh, yes, so, yes, I suppose you could just quote that scripture back at them and see what they come back with. But fasting is more than than just a kind of a pointer to something else or a, a, a means to help you pray better. It is prayer. Fasting and penance are prayer of the senses, the prayer of the body. So right. it's praying with your body, uh, not just with your lips, your mind, your heart. Etc., but also with everything that you are, and that includes our bodily nature. And um, so, apart from the practical benefits of denying yourself, you know, something so as to sort of tell your body who's boss, because it's always, you know, one Tim Tam is never enough, as I as I like to say. You know, <laughs> the, 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 it, your body's always telling you what what it needs when in fact it doesn't need that at all it's just uh it's just being painfully uh, a painful nuisance but in fact it's prayer in and of itself right one last part of the the um precepts of a church is that the faithful have the duty of providing for the material needs of the church each according to his ability says yep. the the catechism now, that's an important one and i i have to confess that since becoming a catholic i've been surprised at how under taught this is um in the lutheran parish i was in it was a regular practice of tithing and i'm not advocating this as a as a catholic norm i'm just simply saying i was used to christians who were giving quite a significant proportion of their income whereas catholics seem to think of giving to the church as a kind of a popularity contest if i really liked 
the priest or if I'm, uh, you know, kind of like the area, I might throw a few bucks their way as if they're like a busker or something. Whereas there's an obligation, like a, a holy obligation for us to continue to to support the saying of mass and the keeping of the buildings uh, in which the holy things are kept and the priests' lives, etc. There is. And it's very serious because the fact of the matter is, is that, you know, we, we are bodily beings and um, you do need to actually, someone's got to pay for the upkeep of, of all of this um, stuff, physical stuff that's needed, both in terms of feeding the priest and making sure that he has a decent living and also looking after the church itself. Like, I mean, if you look at my parish church, uh, the larger one at, at Lewisham, St. Thomas's, that was built on the pennies of the poor. I mean, I, I sometimes have looked at the archives going back and looking at the fundraising that was done to build that church over about 50 years, um, beginning in 1888, and was finally completed about 1933 or something like that. And um, people, people, the fundraising efforts were continuous and it was all pennies and shillings and it was there was no millionaires giving 10 million dollars to build that place and that's what people need to appreciate and need to understand that if i don't give my 10 bucks or 20 bucks or whatever it is every every week uh, i'm just not doing my part and that includes um everyone not not just those that uh have millions to spare yeah i mean if i can digress a little bit at the end of this um podcast on that score one of the problems that i came across when i was talking about this in my classes and just to be clear to the listener i'm not employed by the archdiocese or any part of the archdiocese so i'm not a beneficiary of this particular any any money that goes into any plate but um when i teach this in my classes often people ask oh is that before tax or after tax or what about my other bills and that well yeah but in the scriptures the giving to God happened before anything else. The first fruits, the first sheaf of grain that came off the crop, the first fruits of the flock, everything came first to God. Small amounts, proportionally small amounts, but the first choice. And that demonstrated their, their devotion to God as the first place in their life. Um, and so this is the, the thinking of God first, if you like, is part mm. of this attitude of this part of the precept. In some places, after the collection's taken up at, during the offertory at Mass, the money is brought up to the sanctuary and put off to one side. Um, and, th and that's precisely what that's about. It's a symbol of the fact that that also is an offering to God. It forms part of, if you like, the sacrifice, not in a formal way, but, but in, a, in a real sense, you know, because if that doesn't come up, then the sacrifice doesn't happen next week and the week after and the year after and 10 years after and 100 years after because the building won't be there and the priest will be dead. In the early church, they would people would give of what they had and often what they had was food, like bread and wine, and, and it would come up as a gift and the priest would take apart a, a some of the specially prepared bread and wine, which was part of the offering, and, and it was, you know, obviously specially prepared but for the Mass. And the rest of it would go directly to the works of the church, which was to help the poor, to support the priests, to all of, all of the the works of um, the widows, etc., who were um, receiving from the church. Yeah, so it's a very important part of uh, our obligations. Now, having said that, 
there is no set amount. I mentioned tithing before because it was part of my history, but it, there's no set amount for Catholics that we're obliged to give. It's a, a matter for our us to stand before God and ask ourselves, how how generous has God's gift to me made it possible for me to be? Yeah, it's interesting. Often people will ask me, you know, um, at baptisms or funerals or what have you, oh, you know, what's the fee or what have you? And I say, well, no, there isn't a fee. You, you just give what you can. And uh, then, of course, they press me because they sort of want to know, oh, well, you know, do I give you 20 bucks or give you 50 bucks? And I, <laughs> uh, and I just won't be I just won't be drawn on that question. I just simply said, oh, no, no, that's a, that's a matter for you. I mean, I don't know, you know, what yep. your financial situation is. Um, you you should make it, a, you know, as substantial a gift as you think you're able to give uh, in appreciation for the gifts that you're receiving. And, yep. um, and it's funny. I find that that works far better. I mean, if I set a fee, I – which I'm not allowed to do, by the way, anyway. But but if I if I did if I actually gave people some sort of an indicator, I think I'd get less money. Right. Uh, when you when you leave it up to people's generosity, sometimes they give an enormous amount of money. Um, they're they're enormously grateful for, you know, their father's funeral or, you know, the baptism of their first child or what have you. And it's particularly important for for it to be a matter of conscience because many times I have had slightly more money coming in but i have eight children so it's a different obligation for when i had much less money coming in and i had no obligations as a single man you know there's a kind of a mm. there's a kind of a, a trade-off it's not just about the money it's also about what other things what other parts of your vocation are calling on you to serve with these gifts of god god doesn't want 10 percent of your your yourself your money your your time he wants 100 percent of it it's just divided between the vocations that he has called you and one of those obligations is that you in some small way support uh, the material needs of the church which is the last of the precepts if you want to check out these precepts they're in the catholic catechism uh, 2041 through uh, i think 2043 that's paragraph 2041 to 2043 uh, easily accessed there, and there's plenty of uh, other helpful additional writings on those things. Or you can get back to us on it, what you think, what you think we've missed, or ways in which perhaps young people might see about um, interpreting these. But I think that's probably a good time to wrap up. Father, did you have anything extra you wanted to add to that? I've got heaps that I'd like to add to it, as always. <laughs> <laughs> but as usual... <laughs> <laughs> We're on time, so let's keep it that way. <laughs> I, I notice in Mass, Father, you're often looking over at the clock as you're preaching, just making sure you no, don't No, no, that's nonsense. I never look <laughs> at the clock. <laughs> there you go. I can't actually see the clock from where I'm sitting, so I'm making that up. That's it for this week's podcast. If today's discussion got you thinking or arguing with us or feeling obliged to contribute, please hit us up at thiscatholiclife.com.au. You can check out our Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, or Discord. Remember, this is a uniquely Australian Catholic podcast, and we think that's a good idea. So tell your friends. We'll be back next week, but that's all for now. Thanks for listening to This Catholic Life. Mm-hmm.